Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 27 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Please listen to Season 3, Episode 26 for Part 1 of this two-part case. If you would prefer to listen to our podcast a few days early without adverts, you can. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash they walk among us. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. Twenty-nine-year-old Michael Ross from Inverness stands accused of entering the Mumu Taz Indian restaurant in Kirkwall on the 2nd of June 1994 while wearing a mask and shooting 26-year-old Shamsuddin Mahmood. Ross was just 15 years old at the time of the waiter's death. The killing shocked the local Orkney community, the first there in 25 years. Last year, after a cold case review, Ross was arrested and charged with the waiter's murder. After Michael Ross was charged with the murder of Shamsuddin Mahmood, a trial began at the High Court in Glasgow on May 12, 2008. Ross put forward a plea of not guilty and said he was not in the area of Bridge Street or the town centre of Kirkwall, but was cycling around Bignold Park. In addition, he was also charged with two counts of breach of the peace. The first was said to have taken place between May 3rd and May 24th, 1994, when he was witnessed outside the Mumataz restaurant shouting, swearing, uttering threats of violence and racist abuse. The second being on May 19th when he was spotted in Papdale Woods. He faced a further charge of attempting to defeat the ends of justice after it was alleged that he disposed of his clothing and the gun used in the killing. He pleaded not guilty to all charges. The prosecution painted Michael Ross as a racist who held extreme views. Though the gun used to kill Shamsuddin Mahmood had never been found, the evidence presented included a notebook that contained drawings of Nazi images, and Michael was said to have told fellow army cadets that blacks should be shot. Brian McConaughey, the advocate deputy, told the jury that the murder was savage mercilessless and pointless. Defence advocate Donald Finlay QC said that it was unbelievable to claim that the shooting was carried out by a 15-year-old boy. He alleged there were gaps in the prosecution's case and they relied entirely on circumstantial evidence. On the first day of the trial, Shamsuddin Mahmood's brother, 
Abul Shafuddin told the court he had no idea why anyone would want to kill his brother. Under cross-examination, defence lawyer Donald Finlay QC asked him about an argument at the time between the two brothers over Mr Mahmood's plans to marry a local girl. A local girl Mr Shafuddin thought was of easy virtue. Mr Shafuddin said he did not remember that row. Michael Ross's defence advocate questioned the witness further about his relationship with his brother. While the brothers hadn't been on speaking terms, they had seen each other a few months before the shooting. Abul told the court that his brother had lent him £3,200 to help with some renovation work on a property that he had purchased in London. When asked by the defence where he was when he found out that his brother had died, the witness told the court that he was in Bangladesh. He said, It was a big shock for the family. We lost our brother and it took a long time to come to terms with it. On May 13, 2008, the jury heard from Marion Flores, who was working with Shamsuddin or Shamal as she knew him at the Mumataz restaurant on June 2, 1994. She said, I was showing two people to a table when the door opened. I turned round and saw a man with a mask and a hood. He walked right up the restaurant. I heard a shot. I was nearest to the door and walked out. I thought that he was going to shoot everyone, so I got out. Marion Flores ran down one alley and saw the gunman run off down another. After re-entering the restaurant through a side door used by employees, she heard shouting and screaming. When questioned by prosecutor Brian McConaughey QC about what she saw, Marion Flores said, Shamal was lying on the restaurant floor. He was bleeding from just above the eye. His glasses were lying on the floor. One lens was broken. Defence advocate Donald Finley QC asked Marion if the gunman seemed in control. She replied, as far as I could make out, yes. Emma Stamper, who was 13 at the time of the shooting, took to the stand. She was eating at the Mumataz restaurant with her family when she saw a man enter through the front door. She explained that the gunman walked with really big strides as he headed towards a waiter. The witness said, I watched him all the time to see if I knew who he was. He went directly to the waiter, put his hands up above his head. I heard a bang. I thought it was a party popper. When the man walked out, he was very calm. He walked confidently out the door. In her original statement to the police, Emma Stamper described the weapon as black and chunky and the gunman as having broad shoulders and he looked like a professional. This statement was at odds with the note handed in to the Kirkwall Police Office in which another witness claimed they saw Michael Ross in a public toilet on the night of the shooting with a silver gun similar to a Beretta. The prosecutor asked Emma Stamper about the accuracy of her statement and the witness said, I know that I did not lie. I know that I wanted to help. I would have been telling the truth. On May 14th, Donald Glue stepped into the witness box and spoke about his recollection of the night of June 2nd, 1994. He said, The door opened and someone came in quite quickly. He stood by my seat pulled up a gun quite quickly and meaningfully. He came over and stood at our table, and I think I said something like, What the hell are you doing? I thought it was some kind of joke, that it was going to be a water pistol sprayed on the waiter's face. Unfortunately not. He had obviously had the gun in his hand when he came in. He held it about two feet from the waiter's face and pulled the trigger. He went out the door before the waiter had even fallen, and he was gone. When describing the gunman, Donald Glue told the court the shooter appeared athletic and was wearing a balaclava and pair of sunglasses. Sarah Glue, Donald Glue's daughter, was 12 at the time of the shooting. She said, When the gun went off, I wasn't aware of what had happened. It then became obvious. There was a bit of screaming and we were ushered to the bottom of the restaurant, away from the scene. 
pathologist Dr. James Grieve explained that the gunshot produced soot staining on the face of Shamsuddin Mahmood, which indicated that the killer was one or two feet away from his victim. He told the court that there would be no possibility that Shamsuddin could have survived the gunshot. The bullet passed through his left eye and exited through his right ear. The jury heard from Black Watch Sergeant Ricky Buse, who had served in the Army Cadets with Michael Ross. Buse was interviewed by police in May 1999 and told them, Michael is a racist and I have heard him say that black should not be up here and should be shot. Ricky Buse, who was a year below Michael Ross at Kirkwall Grammar School at the time, stated that he couldn't recall making that statement but when he was asked by the prosecutor if what he told police was true, he replied, yes, it's true. When cross-examined by Donald Finley QC, the witness was asked, racial remarks or words which would be totally unacceptable or even criminal now were in common use in 1994 as far as your group were concerned. Ricky Buse replied, yes. Donald Finley asked, on any one single occasion did you encounter Mr. Ross saying, doing or hinting at anything that showed real hostility towards Asians? No, the witness replied. Ricky Buse was re-examined by the prosecutor who asked him, were there any of the cadets who were inclined to be more racist than others? He replied, Michael, me and some of the others. Later in the trial, Nicola Wiley, another former member of the Army Cadets, also addressed the court. She had provided a statement to police when she was a teenager. She said that once during a cadet gathering, Michael Ross proclaimed that blacks should be shot and guns put to their heads. While she told the court she couldn't remember giving the statement, Nicola Wiley agreed that Michael Ross did say it, as otherwise she would not have relayed it to the police. Donald Finley QC asked the witness, Did you ever then or now see any sign in Michael Ross that he actually wanted to do harm to Asian people or black people? She replied, No. On May 19, 2008, Susan Sinclair, who had worked as civilian staff in the Kirkwall Police Office in 2006, spoke from the witness box. She had been handed a letter by a man who wished to remain anonymous but it was a coincidence that she recognised him. The letter was signed from a worried sick witness and read, This is a true letter. I promise that I saw the person who killed the Indian waiter. I saw his face in full and the handgun. It was in the toilets at Kiln Corner. I have lived long enough with the guilt at not coming forward. The person was about 15 plus years approximately, white and had a balaclava on his head but still not turned down. The colour was either dark blue or black, and dark clothing. He came out of the cubicle, but went back in quick when he saw me. I looked over, and saw his face in full. The handgun was natural polished metal or silver, and a big Beretta. This may seem stupid, but the way he held the handgun looked like he'd held a firearm before. I just don't know what to do. John Rendell, who was using the same public toilet on the night of the shooting, gave testimony and explained that he heard some banging noises coming from an adjoining cubicle. He suspected it may have been the gunman after hearing about the shooting, so reported this information to the police. William Grant was the man who authored the anonymous letter handed in at the Kirkwall Police Office. He addressed the court and told them that after entering the public toilet on the evening of June 2nd, 1994, he saw a cubicle door open. He said, I just turned my head around to my left. I saw a person coming out. He had a handgun in his hand. It looked quite shiny and clean. I was terrified. It gave me quite a shock. I just thought it was somebody playing about. The person went back into the cubicle and locked the door. I walked out. About 15 yards from the toilets, I stopped and turned back towards Kim Corner. The person came out of the toilets, walking up towards the lane. William Grant was asked by the prosecutor if he knew the man, 
and he confirmed he had seen him with his father, who was a local police officer. I had an idea it was Michael Ross. It was such a quick glance, but what I saw are more or less definite, said the witness. William Grant later found out that there had been a shooting, but told the court he was too scared to report the incident. He was asked if he could identify in the courtroom the man he saw on the night of June 2nd. He pointed to Michael Ross. Under cross-examination, Donald Findlay QC asked William Grant, It wasn't Michael Ross you saw in Kiln Corner Toilets that night. Could that be right? Grant looked unsure, and Donald Finley said, Answer truthfully and candidly. William Grant replied, Very possibly it was not. During his second day of providing testimony, it was revealed by William Grant that Michael Ross's name was suggested to him. Acting on behalf of the defence, Donald Finley asked William Grant, When you saw the person in the toilets, you thought you recognised him, but that was as far as it went. The witness replied, Yes. Until the name of Michael Ross was suggested to you, did you have any idea at all who the person in the toilets was? I had some idea, but I wasn't sure, replied Grant. The witness was asked if he initially thought it could have been someone else. Grant responded, I can't say that. I just had some idea. When Michael Ross's name was suggested to you, was it maybe weeks later? William Grant replied, Months, I think. William Grant was again questioned by the prosecutor Brian McConaughey QC if he had made up the claim that he had seen Michael Ross. He replied, I thought it was Michael Ross. William Grant's ex-wife Jane Grant also gave testimony and said that her ex-husband visited her on September 1st, 2006 before he went to the police. He told her that he had seen Michael Ross in the toilets near the scene of the crime with a gun. Jane Grant was shocked and asked her ex-husband why hadn't he gone to the police sooner. She told the court that it was not something he had mentioned in the past. The first officer to attend the scene on June 2nd, 1994 was James Pocket. He said, people were shocked and upset. The victim was lying on the floor being comforted. The man was in a pretty poor state. It appeared to me that there was brain matter on the carpet and blood at the front and side of his face. Although the officer found a pulse, it was sporadic and Shamsuddin Mahmood was convulsing. An ambulance hadn't arrived, so the officer requested that a colleague find a doctor on the pier nearby. Two doctors were found and entered the restaurant at the same time as paramedics. Shamsuddin was declared dead shortly after arriving at the hospital. Major Graham Chubb, an army ammunition expert who served in the British Armed Forces for over 35 years, examined the bullet casing found on the floor of the restaurant. At the trial, he told the jury that the bullet came from the same consignment of 54 million bullets that had been produced in a factory in India. The ammunition was for submachine gun weapons training. Graham Chubb informed the court that it wasn't normal for military ammunition to be in civilian hands. Under cross-examination, Donald Finley QC showed Graham Chubb a casing from the same consignment of bullets, which he said could be legally purchased on the internet. Testimony was provided by the Firearms Licensing Chief for the Northern Constabulary, Norman MacLeod. He informed the High Court that between 1992 and 1995, Edmund Ross held firearm certificates for one shotgun, two revolvers, three rifles and five pistols. After the Dunblane school shooting in 1996, the law was changed. However, at the time of Shamsuddin's murder in 1994, an individual could own a firearm, providing they had the correct certificate. A forensic scientist that specialised in ballistics, who had previously served in the police force and had 27 years' experience with firearms, told the court that he had never seen the type of ammunition found at the murder scene before. 
Ronald Withers said that although the bullet was fired from a handgun, it was intended to be used in a submachine gun. He was asked what would happen if this type of bullet was fired from a handgun, and the expert witness replied, the bullet would be more powerful, it would come out with a greater velocity. Donald Finley QC asked the forensic scientist how many individuals on the island had certificates to own guns that could fire 9mm bullets. He replied, there would be thousands. As the end of May approached, those in the High Court were reminded of Edmund Ross's suspension from the police force. Detectives had discovered that Ross and a colleague had each obtained an unregistered pistol from a firearms dealer sometime between the late 80s and early 90s. Angus Mackay, a former police officer who had since left the force, testified that he was approached by Edmund Ross after the shooting and reminded that he should dispose of his unlicensed weapon. Mackay testified that Edmund Ross said, You better get rid of it. The witness believed that Ross was inferring that the inquiry team were aware of the existence of the unlicensed weapons. The former police officer later handed in his unregistered handgun after a conversation with a colleague. Under cross-examination, Donald Finley QC said, Eddie Ross, who was a police officer, came to you and said if you still had the illegal gun then you'd better get rid of it. He was giving you advice, wasn't he? He was doing you a favour telling you to get rid of an illegal gun. I accept that, yes, the witness replied. On May 29th, the court heard from a former Marine that sold Edmund Ross bullets. The witness testified that this included a sealed box of 9mm bullets and one that had been opened, half of which had been used. James Spence told the jury that he had in fact stolen the bullets from a Royal Marine base in Arbroath and sold them to Edmund Ross sometime between 1982 and 1986. After he left the Marines, he had found work as a road sweeper in 1994 when the shooting occurred. James Spence gave testimony that shortly after the murder, he was approached by Edmund Ross and informed that a police investigation was underway and he would likely be questioned about a box of bullets that he had sold P.C. Ross. Spence was allegedly told to tell detectives that he had handed over just one sealed box of 9mm bullets to be destroyed. In his first police interview, he did just that, but during the second, in December 1994, he admitted that he sold Edmund Ross one and a half boxes of 9mm bullets. Donald Findlay QC said that Spence's behaviour was a combination of dishonesty and self-interest. This was a statement that the witness agreed with. James Spence admitted that he had lied to police during his first interview, stolen ammunition from a Royal Marine base and breached the Firearms Act. Asked if he had ever been charged for these offences, he said he had not. Donald Finley QC said that Edmund Ross disputed James Spence's statements there was only ever one box of 9mm bullets and denied that Ross had ever asked Spence to lie. At the start of June, the High Court heard from Michael Ross's ex-girlfriend. In an interview with police before the trial, Lynn Marie Neal told officers that Michael claimed he was in possession of a gun a few weeks after the shooting. She said, he had gone into his parents' bedroom and taken a key which opened his father's gun cabinet. He then took out a gun and hid it in his pocket. Lynn Marie Neal told the court that she couldn't recall ever seeing the weapon when the couple were on Scapa Beach a few miles from the restaurant. However, she was presented with a statement made in 2007 in which she was said to have described the gun as an old-style revolver. Under cross-examination, she denied ever saying such a thing and only Skim read the statement produced as she was in a hurry and wanted to get back to her children. Donald Finley QC asked the witness, At the time of the incident on Scapa Beach, the police were crawling all over Orkney, were they not? Yes, she replied. One day, when you were out with the dogs, Michael said he had taken one of his father's guns and may have shown it to you. What a stupid, daft, idiotic thing to do. The witness agreed. Michael never asked you to lie about it. Lynn Marie Neal replied, Never. 
He always told me to tell the truth. On June 4, 2008, Michael Ross's brother Colin told the jury that he had never seen any indication that his brother disliked the restaurant staff at the Mumitaz. Colin Ross also explained that there was no change in his brother's behaviour following the shooting. On the evening of June 2nd, 1994, Colin Ross was at the cinema in Kirkwall with a friend Alan Robertson and Michael's girlfriend at the time, Lynn Marie Neal. He could not recall why Michael was not at the cinema with them. After her son Colin had given evidence, Michael Ross's mother Moira Ross told the court that she was proud of her son, who was a quiet, gentle person who would not hurt a fly. She had seen no changes in his behaviour after the shooting and was adamant that he was innocent. The prosecutor Brian McConaughey QC posed a question to Moira Ross. He said, Your son is in the army. In the army, you may have to kill someone else. She replied, Yes. He wasn't in the army when he was 15. He was just 15. He wasn't killing people then. Brian McConaughey retorted, With respect, Mrs. Ross. That is a matter for the ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Detective Inspector Angus Chisholm, who had since retired, stepped into the witness box. He confirmed that he conducted interviews with Michael Ross, who denied ever being in the restaurant on the night of the murder, instead insisting he was on the Papdale East estate on his pushbike. Recordings of each interview were played to the jury. Michael Ross could be heard saying, I've never been inside the Indian restaurant. The former detective inspector told the court that Michael insisted he had met schoolmates Ingrid Watson and Hayden Alston. Both pupils were interviewed three times and on each occasion they said they had not seen him. On the tape recordings, Michael told the detective that when he got home from cycling, he then took the dogs for a walk. After he got back, his mother was at home and informed him that someone had been shot. The court were reminded of the deactivated machine gun found hanging from Michael Ross's bedroom wall and were also told of a drawing found by detectives in one of Michael's army cadet notebooks. It showed a grim reaper with the words death a cure for all beneath it. A Scottish flag in the lower part of the drawing contained the words, Death to the English. In the top right, Michael had also signed his name with a swastika inside the O, and an SS sign formed the last two letters of his name. Detective Constable Michael Harper, one of the members of the police force who was involved in the search of the Ross family home, told the jury that he found the notebook in the pocket of one of Michael's jackets. Throughout 1994, DC Harper had tried to obtain statements from both Michael Ross and his brother Colin about the shooting, but instead their father Edmund Ross provided him with two written statements, which he claimed had been taken at Kirkwall Police Station. DC Harper told the court, Edmund Ross was a serving police officer and I had no reason to doubt going through him. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand, and now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. Michael's father, Edmund Ross, eventually addressed the court from the witness box. He was asked where his son would get a machine gun, and he responded, I gave it to him as a gift. The prosecutor replied, A gift of a machine gun. It's not a machine gun, it's a deactivated one, said Edmund Ross. It was going cheap and I bought it, and I just gave it to him as an interest item. It is basically a lump of useless metal. Edmund Ross told the court that on June 2nd, 1994, after the shooting, he stood guard outside of the restaurant on Bridge Street and conducted a number of interviews. A shell casing was discovered while witness interviews were being conducted, and Edmund Ross informed detectives that it was a military cartridge that had been produced in India. A few months after the shooting, Ross informed police that he had found a box of sealed ammunition similar to the one that had killed Shamsuddin Mahmood. Asked, when did he find the bullets? He said shortly before they were handed over to the investigating officers. Edmund Ross also told the court that he lied during his police interview on December 6, 1994. He had told detectives that he couldn't locate the second set of keys to his gun cabinet. He now said they were in fact with his mother, but he didn't want to get her involved. Edmund Ross claimed his incarceration for attempting to defeat the ends of justice was a miscarriage of justice. He said that he only ever received one sealed box of cartridges, and never a second. When questioned by the defence advocate about why he gave the bullets to the police, Edmund replied, I thought it would be a benefit to the inquiry. Edmund Ross first reported that he owned bullets similar to those used in the shooting to his supervisor, Inspector John Smith. From the witness box, John Smith was questioned by Donald Finley QC, who said, should the ladies and gentlemen of the jury take it that before Michael Ross was ever a suspect in relation to the shooting in the Mumitaz, Eddie Ross came to you as his immediate supervisor and gave you some information about 9mm ammunition which would be of interest to the inquiry. The inspector replied, To my knowledge, Michael Ross wasn't a suspect at that point. 
As the prosecution's case came to an end, on June 12, 2008, a number of charges against Michael Ross were withdrawn. The two charges related to breaching the peace. The first, when the defendant was witnessed in Papdale Woods hiding behind some trees on May 19, 1994, and the other when he was allegedly seen outside the restaurant shouting threats of violence and racist abuse in May, some time before the attack. A soldier who served alongside Michael Ross appeared before the court on behalf of the defence and spoke about Michael's brave actions on the battlefield. Fijian Lance Corporal Josapha Taroga said that Ross was like a big brother and he had never witnessed any behaviour to suggest that his fellow soldier was a racist. The Lance Corporal spoke of a time when his cousin, who was also in the army, had been killed in an attack and he saw Michael the following day. Josapha Taroga said, He was in tears and he hugged me. We are brothers in arms. I've always looked up to Michael. Captain Alexander Ramsey, who also gave testimony, said that Michael Ross was one of the finest soldiers I've commanded. He is a gentleman in the way he looks after his family and his soldiers. The captain recounted an instance in Iraq during November 2004 in which a suicide bomber attacked an armoured personnel carrier that Michael and his unit were travelling in. Captain Alexander Ramsey said, Sergeant Ross, who was then a corporal, assumed control, administering first aid to soldiers and an Iraqi interpreter and organising the evacuation of the wounded. He also helped to rebuild the confidence of the soldiers, which had took quite a kicking. Throughout the trial, the prosecution had made attempts to paint the defendant as a racist, but when Kater Moyes, a witness for the prosecution, took to the stand to testify that Michael Ross held racist views, he told the court, It is a very long time ago. I don't remember. Kater Moyes had given police two statements when he was a teenager, in which he described Michael Ross as a racist. They were read out to the jury but when prompted by the prosecution to confirm his statements were true, the witness tried to avoid the questions altogether. He appeared to be shaking and was close to tears as he spoke. Due to his testimony, Kater Moyes would find himself in the dock during January of the following year on a charge of contempt of court. On June 17, 2008, Closing arguments were made by both the prosecution and the defence. Brian McConaughey QC acting on behalf of the prosecution described the murder of Shamsuddin as a cold-blooded assassination. He said, There is a compelling circumstantial case against Michael Ross. The pieces of evidence demonstrate beyond a shadow of doubt that Michael Ross murdered Shamsuddin Mahmood. How unlucky can Michael Ross be that the person who committed the murder bears a striking resemblance to him? Of course, bad luck and coincidence have nothing to do with it. There is a much simpler explanation. What we have, ladies and gentlemen, is a compelling, unanswerable case that Michael Ross, three months short of his 16th birthday, shot and murdered Shamsuddin Mahmood. If you return a guilty verdict on the charges then 14 years later Michael Ross will be called to account for what he did. He is a sergeant in the Black Watch. We know he is a war hero like everyone serving in the forces in that particular area. We know he has the same consideration for the black soldiers under his command as he does for the white ones. But quite simply, so what? This case is not about what Michael Ross has become. It is about what Michael Ross was in 1994. Defence advocate Donald Finley QC said the prosecution was scraping the bottom of the barrel as far as the evidence was concerned. He described the Crown's witness William Grant as a self-confessed liar. Donald Finley QC likened Michael's prosecution to the UK government's claim that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. He said, Those who argued against were told that there was a compelling and unanswerable case. George Bush might have said, how many coincidences did we want? In spite of all that, there were no weapons of mass destruction. They never existed. Witnesses in the restaurant speak of impressions of a hitman. 
it has all the hallmarks of what one would expect from a professional hit. It is as close up and personal as you can get. There are no nerves, anxiety or fear on the part of the shooter. Is that consistent with a 15-year-old boy? This is not to do with someone having the ability to pick up a gun, load it and pull the trigger. It is one matter to shoot at a piece of wood with a target on it. It is a very, very different thing to take the life of a human being. This is not the case of one person shooting at another. This is one person going into a restaurant with a gun in order to kill another human being. Not a single solitary witness suggested that it would occur to them this might be someone in their mid-teens. The whole picture is of someone at ease, someone totally in control. You were supposed to believe someone at 15 would have the nerves, the guts to walk in and execute another human being. The judge provided his summary of the case on the afternoon of June 18th and completed it the following morning. He told the jury, You are not entitled to indulge in speculation or indulge in emotion. Judges are not allowed to have feelings, and you are 15 judges. You are not here to act as investigators. You have to evaluate the evidence you have heard. You must approach your task calmly and carefully. There is sufficient circumstantial evidence assuming you choose to accept it. If you are not satisfied that 15-year-old Michael Ross murdered Mr. Mahmood, you must acquit. After a six-week trial on June 20th, 2008, and four hours of deliberation, a jury of five men and ten women found Michael Ross guilty by a majority decision of both murder and attempting to defeat the ends of justice. Michael Ross looked passive as he was told the sentencing would be deferred. Judge Lord Hardy addressed Michael and said, In view of the verdict of the jury, and also in view of the fact you have no previous convictions, I require to obtain a social inquiry report before sentencing you. Orkney is a remote and rural island in the far north of Scotland. It's a peaceful place with close-knit communities. On June 2, 1994, Michael Ross walked into this restaurant seeking out Shamsuddin Mahmoud. He was one of only a few Asian faces on the island, and that's exactly why the 15-year-old had singled him out. After shooting him in the head at point-blank range, he calmly walked straight back out again and went home. Shamsuddin came here for a new beginning but met a tragic end with Michael Ross behind bars. His family say their 14-year wait for justice is over. Shortly after the verdict was read aloud, as Michael Ross was about to be led away, he took a deep breath and leapt over the dock, breaking away from his escort and first running towards the jury before escaping through a side exit used by court personnel. As defence advocate Donald Finley QC shouted, No, Michael, no! Ross was pursued by court officials and police officers as he ran through a corridor in the court building. He was only a few steps from freedom when he was rugby tackled to the ground. He was placed in handcuffs and taken to prison. Despite the gravity of the charges against him, Sergeant Michael Ross was on bail throughout his trial, trusted to turn up every day, and right until the very end, he did exactly what he was told to do. The attempted escape took place in Court 3 at Glasgow High Court, supposedly the most secure courtroom in the land. It's specially equipped to hold terrorist trials. Michael Ross ran past the astonished jury and pulled open a door that's used by court officials and lawyers and got into the corridor outside. There he was brought to the ground by Gordon Morrison, a 60-year-old court maser who suffered facial injuries when he brought him down. He was then jumped on by about three or four other police officers. The soldier was then taken back into custody. Now, he was brought to a halt about 10 metres away from this door. This is an unlocked fire exit. Had he got out of this door, he could have run off into the streets of Glasgow and escaped. 
Security at the court is being reviewed following today's events. Senior lawyers have expressed concern. There was a very brave mesa today who was injured trying to prevent a man escaping. We had a murderer who was within 10 yards of getting out of the court and we had four professional police officers who managed to stop that escape. Had the plans which have been in place for some time to remove police officers of the court come to fruition, that man would be on the streets of Glasgow tonight and not behind bars where he belongs. Following the escape attempt, the judge faced the jury and said, I hope that the events of today haven't been too dramatic and too upsetting for you. I hope you are all right after that unexpected experience. Members of the jury were told they were exempt from sitting on another jury panel for life and counselling would be available if needed. While Michael Ross was on bail, he had rented a car which he had left in the car park of a Tesco supermarket in Springburn, a short distance from the court building. He had filled the boot with camping supplies, clothing, money, a fully loaded machine gun, a pistol, a hand grenade and 542 rounds of ammunition. After the trial, Procurator Fiscal for the Highlands and Islands, Andrew Lang, stated, This was a callous murder of an innocent young man who was well known and liked within the town. This cowardly act shocked not only the local community, but people throughout Scotland. My thoughts remain with Shamsuddin's family, who I know since 1994 have been keen to see the perpetrator of this terrible crime brought to justice. Prosecutors and officers from the Northern Constabulary were determined that justice would be done in this case. Many people have worked on this investigation over the years, and all will be satisfied with today's outcome. It is also appropriate to highlight the crucial part played by members of the public in Kirkwall and elsewhere, who acted in great public spirit to assist the police and the court in coming forward and providing vital information. Michael Ross's father was in court as his son tried to escape. As Eddie Ross left, he became involved in scuffles with members of the public. Tighter security will be in place when Michael Ross is sentenced next month. Edmund Ross, Michael's father, explained to reporters that an appeal would be launched immediately. Believing there to be issues with the evidence and witnesses who gave testimony, Edmund Ross said, Michael is a laid-back sort of chap. He's certainly not happy with what's happened with him. He is a military man, so he has slotted in quite well, although I'm sure he would much rather be at home with his wife and family. Abul Shafuddin, Shamsuddin Mahmood's eldest brother, told the press, At last the killer has been brought to justice. It's a big consolation for us. At one stage we lost all hope that his killer would be found. We cannot forgive Michael Ross. He owes an apology to the family, which he has not tendered. He is an evil person. Still I cannot comprehend why it has happened to him. What someone, what sort of grudge one can have against him. Uh, he was a baby, baby brother, and every member of the family was very fond of him. Michael Ross was sentenced in October 2008 after court proceedings were delayed due to the trial judge undergoing minor heart surgery. During mitigation, Donald Finley QC stressed that his client was not a racist and would be continuing to protest his innocence. Michael Ross stood emotionless as Judge Lord Hardy said, In the course of your trial, there was evidence about your attitude shortly before the murder and your life during the intervening 14 years. I wish to say something about each of these. Despite the suggestion by your counsel that times were different in 1994, and that comments that are undoubtedly racist today may not have been regarded as such then, it seems to me that it was never acceptable to say that a gun should be put to the heads of blacks and they should be shot. It may be that your comment to that effect may have heralded your intention to assassinate the deceased, or one of his fellow Asians in the Mumataz restaurant. Even in 1994, such a remark was a racist comment, and it did not and should not have needed politicians to explain that to anyone. 
the evidence disclosed that you held racist views and sympathy for Nazi Germany. These views were not only abhorrent, but an insult to the memory of those, including members of your distinguished regiment who sacrificed their lives in opposition to them and in support of democratic principles. It was also said that since the date of the murder you had joined the army, had a successful career there, had perhaps even acted on occasion with bravery and had married with a family. The first observation that I would make is that by your assassination of him, Shamsuddin Mahmud was deprived of the opportunity to marry and have a family or to further his career. The other observation is that your actions in murdering him were an act of cowardice, and despite what is said about your army career, it is clear from your actions after conviction that you are still a coward. The judge then addressed the aggravating factors in the case. He said, First, this was a vicious, evil, unprovoked murder of a defenceless man. Second, the attack was a premeditated assassination. Third, it involved the use of a firearm. Fourth, it involved shooting him in the head at close range. Fifth, it occurred in a public restaurant in front of members of the public, including children who were traumatized by your actions. Sixth, it was motivated by your extreme racist prejudice. In addition, after the murder, you attempted to pervert the course of justice by destroying evidence. Michael Ross was sentenced to life and would have to serve a minimum of 25 years before he would be eligible for parole. His father Edmund was interviewed and spoke of his frustration with the witness testimony provided by Kate and Moyes and his son's escape attempt. Considering the fact that uh, the new evidence, new witness, has been false and concocted basically, and when that was finally proved to be they were back to the same so-called evidence they had in 1994. He's a highly trained soldier, and as far as I'm concerned, it's just uh, part of the military ethos where you have a backup. At the start of November 2008, interest in the case was again reignited when an advert appeared in the Orcadian, a local weekly newspaper that serves the Orkney Islands. Though Michael Ross was already sitting behind bars for the crime, an advert was posted by someone who wished to remain nameless, offering a substantial reward for more information. It read, A reward of up to £100,000 is hereby offered for information in connection with the murder of Shamsuddin Mahmood in the Mumataz restaurant Kirkwall, Orkney Islands on June 2, 1994. I, the advertiser, wish to remain anonymous but believe there has been a miscarriage of justice in the conviction of Michael Ross. All information should be sent to box number C4504, the Orcadian Kirkwall, and will be received in the strictest confidence. News of the reward spread from the local paper to national outlets, and it wouldn't be long until someone came forward. Amelia Swanee, who had since moved to Aberdeen, claimed that she had made attempts to contact both Michael Ross's defence team when the trial was underway and his father, although despite leaving voicemails, no one got back to her. She was 12 at the time of the shooting and believed that there was no way Michael Ross could have committed the murder as he was with her and some friends in Kirkwall on the evening of June 2, 1994. Speaking to BBC Scotland, she said, I've always remembered it that way, you see. I've never remembered it any differently, and it has stayed in my head for that reason because it's a memorable night. Amelia Swanee told the BBC that as she knew the Ross family, she had no intention of taking the reward. On December 8th, 2008, Michael Ross would again appear before a judge this time relating to the charges of attempting to defeat the ends of justice, three breaches of the Firearms Act and one of the Explosive Substances Act. Prosecutor Brian McConaughey QC told the court that Michael Ross hired a blue Ford Fiesta from Glasgow Airport on June 16th. When the vehicle wasn't returned, the hire company made attempts to trace its whereabouts and discovered that Michael was in Barlini Prison after being found guilty of murder. 
When they tracked down the car, they found it had been left in a Tesco car park in Springburn, so staff at the hire company went to collect it. After gaining access to the vehicle, they opened the glove box and found a hand grenade inside. The police were notified immediately. Both the Strathclyde Police Firearms Unit and the Bomb Disposal Unit attended the scene. Michael Ross told the court that he never intended to harm anyone, and if his escape worked, he planned to head to the Scottish Highlands and use the military-grade firearms to kill animals. Donald Finlay QC, who represented Michael during the murder trial, told the court that he felt responsible for his client's actions. He said, I am appalled that I did not see the strain the young man was under. I feel that I let him down badly. This is one of the most desperately sad cases that I have ever encountered. After he turned to face Michael Ross, Judge Lord Brailsford said, These are extremely serious offences, and I have been given no adequate explanation for the reasons that these offences were committed. I will not indulge in speculation as to what drove you to commit these offences. You had a distinguished career and served this country well for a period of years, but despite that, you committed these shocking crimes. Michael Ross pleaded guilty to all charges and was sentenced to two years for fleeing the court, four years each for possession of the machine gun and hand grenade, and five years each for possession of the pistol and over 500 cartridges without a firearm certificate. He would serve each of these sentences concurrently, following his sentence for murder. In 2009, Kater Moyes, who gave evidence at the trial of Michael Ross, was found guilty of contempt of court following the testimony he gave. At the High Court in Edinburgh, Judge Lord Hardy, who sentenced Michael Ross, addressed Moyes and said, It is clear from the way in which you gave your evidence and your demeanour in the witness box, as well as the answers you gave about a matter that was of considerable significance in this murder trial, that you are in contempt of court. During mitigation, David Taylor told the court that his client did his best to tell the truth, but Cater's health was significantly impacted both during and following the trial. Cater Moyes was highly anxious and had not been able to work in his job as an electrician. The judge said, It does appear in this case that you have some health difficulties, which may be made worse if you are sentenced to a period of imprisonment. Kater Moyes was placed on probation for two years and would have to carry out 200 hours of unpaid work. So where are we now? The site of the shooting, the Mumataz restaurant, was eventually sold and renamed the Eastern Spice in early 2000. In 2005, it was reopened under the name of the Dill Sea and serves customers to this day. Michael Ross's family still believe he is innocent. His father thinks that the only reason his son was labelled a racist was because of his own books on military history, which included some on the Nazi regime. preliminary hearing for Michael Ross's appeal, which focused on the conduct of the judge and the comments he made to the jury as the trial came to a close, was due to begin in autumn 2010. However, it was delayed as it was identified that Lord McLean, who would have been one of the appeal judges, had sentenced Edmund Ross, Michael's father. Michael's defence team had no objection, but the other judges ruled we consider it for the best that the case should be heard by a differently constituted court. The appeal would eventually be held in February 2012 and was overseen by a panel of judges, Lord Justice General Lord Hamilton, Lord Carloway and Lord Bonamy. Michael Ross and his defence team believed that his human rights had been breached through the Crown's actions. They believed that it was unfair to interview him when he was only 15 without a lawyer present and that the trial judge erred by not allowing the defence to submit evidence from a psychologist. In April 2012, Michael Ross's appeal was denied 
and he was refused permission for the case to be taken to the Supreme Court of Appeal. By autumn of 2012, Ross's defence team submitted an application to the Scottish Criminal Case Review Commission and a group of protesters gathered outside Kirkwall's Sheriff Court. Around 20 people attended the demonstration, holding placards which pictured Michael with a Scottish flag behind him and they shouted there had been a clear miscarriage of justice. Another twist in the case came during August 2013, when there was some speculation in the media that a gun found in the garden of a property once owned by a former police sergeant John Miller may have been used in the killing. Last month, police recovered what appeared to be a handgun from the garden of this Kirkwell property. The weapon was discovered by the householder while she was gardening and is believed to have been wrapped in plastic. Today it emerged the elderly resident is the widow of a former police detective known to have been an acquaintance of Michael Ross. It could be some time before the weapon that was found here is checked by forensic experts. Its discovery has fueled further speculation about this very controversial case, which almost 20 years on continues to divide local opinion. Police sources have said that a number of lines of inquiry would be pursued, including a possible link to the brutal murder. Investigating officers involved in the original inquiry never recovered the weapon used in the shooting, which was a 9mm handgun. The newly discovered weapon is currently being examined by forensic experts at the Police Firearms Laboratory in Glasgow. The Scottish Criminal Cases Review Commission is currently considering whether to refer the conviction of Michael Ross back to the Court of Appeal. After the gun was tested, it was confirmed in March 2014 that it had not been used to murder Shamsuddin Mahmood. During August of that year, the Scottish Criminal Case Review Commission rejected Michael Ross's claims of a miscarriage of justice. Just two days after the verdict, Ross made another bid for freedom. As he was being transported from Schott's prison to Monklands Hospital in a G4S security van, Michael tried to make his escape as the vehicle came to a halt at a junction. He was unsuccessful and was subdued. No one was injured in the incident, however emergency services were called as a precaution. A change.org petition was set up for Michael Ross. It claims the police released the following description of the killer after the shooting. A man of average build and height 5 feet 8 inches to 6 feet, in his mid-twenties wearing tracksuit trousers, a navy blue thermal or fleecy jacket on top of a pale blue hooded sweatshirt with a navy blue or black balaclava and light-coloured footwear, possibly trainers. The petition states that Michael Ross is 5 feet 7.5 inches as a grown man. It lists a number of conviction doubts which include the lack of forensic evidence, no witnesses placing him at the scene, and the loss of his presumption of innocence after police and media outlets labelled him the prime suspect. It also states that the judge said the testimony made by William Grant was less than satisfactory. It finally claims that when the Scottish Criminal Case Review Commission reviewed the case, not a single witness was re-interviewed and it was only a paper-based exercise. So far, the petition has received just under 2,500 signatures. It has also been reported that Michael Ross has made further escape attempts while being incarcerated. One instance involved making a wooden replica of an angle grinder to fool guards that one wasn't missing from the prison workshop. He planned to use the real one to cut through the bars of his cell, but his plan was discovered when guards realised and the alarm was raised. Another unsuccessful attempt was made in 2018 when Michael Ross tried to scale a fence in Schott's prison, Lanarkshire. In June 2018, following a crowdsourcing campaign which raised over £20,000, Michael Ross's defence team employed the services of specialist human rights lawyer Amar Anwar. Anwar, who has since met Michael Ross in prison, believes some witnesses have yet to come forward who may have information that could cast doubt on the conviction. 
Back in Bangladesh, Shamsuddin Mahmood's family still struggles to deal with his death. His eldest brother was interviewed by the Herald newspaper while he visited London and spoke of his regret bringing Shamsuddin to the UK after the death of their parents. He said, Shamsuddin was a very good boy. Sometimes I feel I have not only lost a brother, but a son as well. If I had never brought him here, he would have remained alive today. It did not occur to me that I would have to bring his dead body home. Thank you for listening and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. To keep up to date with news on the podcast, you can follow us on our social media accounts. We're on Facebook and Instagram under They Walk Among Us Podcast, or you can follow us on Twitter at TWAU underscore podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.